And the green concentric circles are there. How are you, TJ? I'm good. I'm good. It's another another lockdown day. Um, I feel like it's been six years since we started the lockdown section of our podcast. Uh, it's been, I was going to say six weeks, but it's not. It's more than that. I don't even know how long it's been. Uh, but it's another glorious day here on uh, the home front. Excellent. Well, of course, the United Kingdom has now decided to to follow the American model. Uh, so <laughs> federalized much, states. Yeah. yeah, everybody does whatever the hell they want. So uh, remind me what what's happening in Northern Ireland? Are you are you semi locked down, completely locked down? We are exactly the same as it was yesterday and the day before that and the day before that. We have extended our lockdown as far as I know um, for another three weeks. Now, there may be changes to it within that three weeks, but England uh has changed their recommendations so they're allowing a little bit more flexibility scotland is not doing that wales is not doing that northern ireland is not doing that and the republic of ireland are not doing that so it's a bit weird there's this kind of we have devolved governments in england scotland and wales sorry all of them have devolved governments um what that means is that we get to decide what we want to do uh, with some of the things that are handed over to us uh, and so the government here has decided, actually, we'd rather play it more safe than Boris. So we're going to go ahead and not do anything that he's done for a while. Um, so, yeah, we are exactly the same. It's it's a weird scenario now where uh, I was reading BBC News and everything was keeping me up to date. And now I read it and I'm like, well, not not for here. I have to go to a very specific part of BBC News to get news that is not relevant to me because it's like, oh, you can do this. No, I can't. That's illegal. Uh and also there's a lot of confusion. A lot of people are, are trying to figure out which one they'd rather follow and then follow that. And they go, oh, well, you know, on the news it said I could blah, blah, blah. So it's a confusing time uh, of an already confusing time. Mm, it, it is a bit weird having each country do its own thing. But I, I, I mean, it doesn't, that's not a terrible idea in itself. It's whenever they all start diverging. So at the minute we have two real divisions it's a bifurcation so there's everyone and then there's england that's kind of the scenario at the minute. there's small variations in wales and things like that but by and large it's very conservative we're not going to relax anything just yet which is scotland northern ireland uh the republic of ireland and wales and then england which is like well we can take the foot off the brakes a wee bit so at the minute it's it's straightforward it's whenever you get five different permutations of this where everyone has different slight different lockdowns and if you live in Wales, you know, you could be on the border of England and Wales, but if you want to drive up and meet your cousins in Scotland, that's a different set of rules. And if you want to fly over to meet your cousins or your, your family in Northern Ireland, it's a different set of rules. And if you drive south to the border, that's another set of rules. And uh, it's confusing. <laughs> yes, I, I, I'm not going to ask any more questions lest you answer them. <laughs> uh, the, the Cyprus situation is clearer, uh, but we mm-hmm. do have, have some of those wonderful ironies. So... Uh, that there has been a partial relaxation, um, which I believe happened last week, actually. Yeah, so uh, we're in the second week of that. Are we? No, 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 it was this Monday. So um, I'm now allowed to go out three times a day rather than once. I still have to send a text message. Okay. Um, but I can go out three times. And government uh, employees are back to work and they don't need to send anybody any messages. So it's entirely unenforceable now the uh the police have just gone i have no idea what's going on 
um, yeah. and, and, and don't bother doing anything, which, you know, fine. I dare say they've got plenty to keep them busy anyway. Um, this uh, today, in fact, the golf course reopens um, under some very strict rules. Um, you can play as a two ball only. And there's all these sort of, you know, don't touch the flag and there's a retainer in the hole and you're not allowed to talk to anyone else. And the groups are more dispersed than usual. And it's all absolutely fabulous until you get to the last little line from my point of view, which is uh, it's open only for those members who live in the same district as the course. So. Broadly speaking, Cyprus is cut up into a few districts uh, around the major cities. So to my west, the sort of furthermost, furthest west of the provinces is Paphos. Then mm -hmm. you have where I live, which is Limassol. And going along to the east, you have Larnaca and then Famagusta. And then sort of inland, you have Nicosia. It's a little bit more complicated than that, but that's broadly how it works. So I live in Limassol. All of the golf courses. Are in Paphos. <laughs> so, ah. so uh, under no circumstances am I allowed to play golf yet. But as it happens, I couldn't anyway because I don't think I could leave Margaret that long. But uh, in ten days or so, we get another relaxation. So, assuming that the numbers continue to be low or stay low, uh, then gradually we we are opening. And of course, Cyprus is very dependent upon tourism. Uh, it's it's a huge part of of the island's GDP, and you know it's working very very hard to get itself sort of in a semi open state, if you like, for the summer. Um, mm. One thing they've slightly overlooked is that the rest of the world is not interested. <laughs> yeah, we're open for business, tumbleweed. Uh, yeah, that's. I mean, we're open for business, but um, even if you wanted to get here, you couldn't. So. Money can't uh, buy you a flight here because there ain't none. Yeah, that's that's pretty much where it is at the moment. And there's a lot of, uh, you know, the tourism industry, the representatives lobbying the government saying, can, can you give us some sort of clarity? Uh, and I'm told negotiations are going on at a European level. Um, you don't need to be 50 to understand that that means that nothing is happening. Um, <laughs> anyway. Right. Enough of that. Enough of this lockdown nonsense. What are you writing with and on, TJ? I'm using a little bit of a mixture. I'm using the Tennessee Red from Musgrave, which is what I'm writing the show notes with at the minute. But I've been running with the 840 on and off around the house. And that's kind of been my primary two. Uh, and in again, uh, legal pads. This one I've uh, graffitied with a little sticker that says IL before the legal pad section. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I've been using these a bunch for work notes and personal notes. They're really, really productive. I have tons of them, but I may well use up more than I think uh, and during lockdown because I keep using about two or three pages a day. Yeah, okay, you see. I'll buy more notebooks. I'm, I'm fully behind that. That's <laughs> a notion you can support. What about you? Uh, I'm um, <laughs> in, in true sort of stationary salesperson uh, mode. I've, I've written down I'm using a spoke design purple thingy which is the technical term for it. Um, spoke design. Um, this was the pen at Brad. Brad Daddy got involved in, in the creation of this pen. Um, I'm going to say it's, a, it's like a gel, gel rollable type thing. 
Um, they come in lots of very bright colors. They write very smooth. These are Schmidt refill. Um, very, very smooth writers and very distinctive design. And if you listen, the, mm. the cap is magnetized. Oh, so, okay. I didn't know what that was. I thought it was maybe a detent or like a little clip or something, but no, that's no. magnets. So, yeah, you get that sort of um, very satisfying click when the thing goes on. Mm. Unfortunately, I bought three of them. Uh, so very often, if I have them all out on my desk, I, I, I reach for one and get three. Did it, did it? Yeah. Uh, they're all quite, quite powerful magnets, but they're really nice pens. Um, and this, I think they're still for sale. They spoke design, um, dot com, <laughs> I guess. Um, what about watching? What are you watching? TJ? A whole pile of stuff. Actually, I had time to watch a film. Yeah. I started a new series and I've been watching more of another series. Uh, he's main character I despise. So I watched uh, one of my, not one of my favorite films, but a film I've enjoyed in the past called Videodrome. You ever seen it? Yes. Yeah. So James Woods doing what James Woods does best. Uh, it's set in Toronto in the 80s. It's sort of a scandalous look at television and broadcasting and VHS tapes and things like that. Um, proper David Cronenberg body horror job. Um, it's good. It's fun. It's weird. It's dumb. I enjoyed it a lot. I enjoyed it the first time, uh, which was three or four years ago. And it was on Netflix. And I was like, I'll watch this. And I watched it in two sittings, which is something I've been doing more of. Um, I find that I wasn't watching very many films because I wasn't finding an hour and a half, 90 minutes, two hours to sit down and watch uninterrupted. Or I would distract myself and want to go off and do something. So instead of kind of giving myself the the opportunity to watch a film in, in sections and not feel guilty about it. So I'll watch, you know, 30 minutes, 45 minutes, and then it's okay to turn Netflix off and then come back the next day because I'll remember it. And also it means I'll actually watch a film instead of, because I find that paralysis when I sit down, I'm like, mm, I don't want to sit here for two hours. Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden I'm not watching, I end up watching a show and I'll watch five episodes at three hours, which is complete nonsense, you know? Yeah, so. I watched it in two sections, which, which worked out really nicely, but uh, Videodrome's good fun. Um, one of those films that made me want to watch more 80s films. So I finished Videodrome and went, oh, that was pretty good. You know what I really want to see, though? They Live. Who? They Live. Have you never seen that? No, it doesn't ring any bells. Uh, Rowdy Roddy Piper. Um, extended fisticuff scene. He puts on the sunglasses. Uh, I'm here to kick ass and chew bubblegum and I'm all out of bubblegum. Oh. oh no okay one to watch 1986 or something like that mid 80s sure. um it's a really good one i don't want to give away the premise i don't want to give away any of the the back end because there's a lot of stuff i could spoil it's a good film i really enjoyed it it may be too campy and, and weird but worth seeing if you can find it cool i shall have a look uh, for it. And then tv wise i've been watching more life on mars Ugh. I mean, we finished season one and it's good. Like, I really like the environment. I really like a lot of the characters. I don't like the protagonist. He's just so grumpy all the time. <laughs> Everything's a problem. You're like, look, if you're going to, I don't know what's going to happen in this show, right? I'm, I'm finished season one and I'm going, right, he's probably in some sort of coma. That's the, the sort of the consensus we're getting here, right? And he may or may not be in medical trouble. I, I think that would be a generous assumption. And I'm going, right you're not going to get any better by whining the entire episode about how you want to go home. Just enjoy the fact that you're somehow stuck in the seventies and you get to enjoy all this stuff. It's just, it's so frustrating when the main character is just 
complaining the entire season. Think, would you just wise up and enjoy it? Because you'll probably die at the end of this anyway, so what does it matter? <laughs> his, his sidekick is more likable in a, in a very sort of uh, politically incorrect, unreconstructed 70s British <laughs> policeman sort of way. Yeah, at least he's genuine, whereas he's just grumbling. But it's good. I'm enjoying it. But it's just that kind of frustration of like, ugh, if I was there, I'd slap you. You know, just just wise up. <laughs> Start being a bit more enjoying the stuff that's around you. And then the other one I'm watching is called Travelers, which is oh. really, really good. Uh, it's a Netflix job. It's right. um, time travel uh, body swapping type thing. Uh, again, don't want to spoil too much because there's some really good stuff in the first episode that I don't want to spoil. But really well put together casting uh, and sort of construction of the, the lore and the whole world that it's set in. It's really interesting and it kind of drip feeds you bits and pieces. So you, you want to see more to find out what happens. So I'll not spoil it. Watch an episode if you like that. There's more to come. Excellent. Yeah, well, there's some good little tip-offs there. If mm. I get anywhere near the, near the TV, I should, um, <laughs> I should give some a try. Uh, me? Well, not very much. A couple of episodes of Homeland. Um, as I'm, I'm sort of plowing through that, I'm getting to the, I think I'm in season six of seven that we've got on Cypriot Netflix. Um so it's it's taken a bit of a turn. So my interest has been re-peaked, I suppose. Oh, that's good. Um, uh, but yeah, but I haven't really been watching an awful lot, which is, I suppose, a good thing. Final analysis. Um, uh, what about listening? What have you been listening to? Anything good? Uh, not all that much different than before. No real podcasts. I've tried to listen to a bit of Plumbing the Death Star, but didn't get around to it. Um, that album I talked about last time from the Beatles, there's one mm-hmm. song in particular I find myself coming back to. It's called Anna. Mm-hmm. Um, very early Beatles song. I don't even think it was a single. It was just like an album track. And there's this little riff in it, which is so good. If you get a chance, play it later. And it's kind of the, the recurring motif riff within that song. And it's just, I don't know, really twangy, really interesting. And it, I, I kept thinking of it again after I'd listened to the, the album. Because the album's only about 30 minutes, which mm-hmm. coincidentally is the exact amount of time it takes to hoover my entire house. Because I put it on my headphones and it, it <laughs> finished when I did. So... Um, but that was the one that stuck with me, Anna by the Beatles from um, Please Please Me, the album. Ted, there's a lot of homework coming out of this episode for me. I know, I'm sorry, I'm giving you stacks to do. It's, it's, it's filling up the notebook, TJ. It, it will be a good. literal list of notes for you to click in the form <laughs> of show notes, so it might be a little easier than most. Uh, that's true. Uh, well, what am I listening to? I'm, I'm, I'm trying a bit harder with, uh, with Apple uh, rather than just shouting at it all the time. <laughs> um, uh, I've got the um, uh, the HomePod. I think we've probably covered. But are you aware of the the handoff capability? Where you we might you start it on your phone and you hand it off to the the yeah, dumb you, you just go thing. and sort of tap it over to the thing, and then you go back and take it off again. And that's sort of quite handy for the way that I'm living at the moment. Um, and it just makes me feel very very powerful. Just. <laughs> To make the music move, yes. Do you um, physically tap it? Like, I, I know what it's doing technologically, but physically, are you, like, tapping the phone on the thing? No, you don't have to tap it on. You just have to go close to it. Um, so it's using I, NFC or something to pick up that the device I, is near and that yes, it's playing. Yeah, and then, yeah. it, it, you need to sort of do something deliberate so that, you know, it doesn't just jump on when you walk past it. 
Yeah. Um, walk through the curries and it's just blasting on every device yeah. in the way. <laughs> you know, just listening to something on your headphones, go to get a glass of water in the middle of the night and suddenly the home pods. No. Um <laughs> uh so when when I am listening to things, I'm I'm trying to make a make a point of telling the AI whether I like it or not and see if it gets any better at making uh playlists and stuff for me. Uh and I have to say I think it is. It's it's yeah, mm, yeah, it might it might be okay. Ours, ours just it. gets yelled at. The, the the Google that we have in the house, mm-hmm. it's a belligerent. So I am. Just, uh, I'll ask it to do something, and it'll get it wrong four times in a row, spending so much time that I might have as well have just done it manually. <laughs> at which stage I will say, "Hey Google, you're an absolute disappointment to me." And it clearly has no comment on that. It's yelling around the house. I'm sorry to hear that. If there's anything you can do, you can leave feedback, which I've left before as well. I'm sure the, the programmers really appreciate my feedback of do better and this sucks. Uh, it's okay. I'm sure they've got a little way of, of consigning that one immediately to uh, the new boys uh, inbox. <laughs> yeah, the circular file in the corner. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> uh, so yeah, that's oh, and my usual sort of podcast and stuff um reading have you been reading anything i have actually i've made a concerted effort to to read more and i've read about i, I looked as if the book was here it's not it's in the other room so it's not gonna be any help to me but i've read about a quarter of a new book uh which is non-fiction it's quite dense it's called learn to code now by rick lomas um it's essentially a book that teaches you how to use javascript css and html uh which is sort of three building blocks of of web design stuff I've just finished doing a whole bunch of Java. I really enjoy Java, but Java is sort of a back-end language. It's for building uh, sort of the, the gubbins of mm-hmm. something. So it, all the bits and pieces, all the mathematics, everything works. Whereas uh, JavaScript, CSS, and HTML are front-end languages for sort of building the pretty bits uh, that you look at and interact with. So having been a you know an illustrator, graphic designer for 10-odd years, this is the stuff I think I'll mesh with much more but i started with the hard bits that i didn't mm-hmm. have any experience with and now i'm going into the more uh sort of dovetail uh things where i can basically use illustrator normally and then how do i plug that into to javascript to make it look nice on websites so it's good it's tough it's interesting it's different there's a lot of crossover on things and it's that people always tell you that like learning a language you make it easier to learn other languages and you kind of scoff and then you do it and you're like, oh, actually though. So learning Java, Java would be one of the more difficult programming languages to learn just because it's quite verbose. There's a lot to it. There's a lot of ways to write it wrong. Uh, whereas something like Python gives you a lot more freedom. So it, do, it doesn't ask for as much and then it isn't as angry when you get it wrong. Um, but because I've kind of learned in Java, I'm coming to HTML and be like, that's it. There's like four ta- There's four things to learn here to do 90% of what I'm trying to do instead of sheets and sheets of stuff and complicated orders and all this nonsense and recursion and things like that. So having learned the, the tough thing, the easier kind of more front-end language is actually a little bit more straightforward. So I'm enjoying that, reading the book. I'm doing some notes. I'm going to be doing some proper coding stuff in the next couple of weeks. So I don't know what will come of it, but it's an interesting uh, sort of project for me to be working on in the back end. Okie dokie. Uh, well, I'm reading something completely different to that. I'm still reading uh, In Extremis, uh, 
the story of Marie Colvin, the uh, war correspondent. Uh, and I'm reading a dense sort of history book. So The Kingdom of Cyprus and the Crusades, 1191 to 1374, by Peter W. Edbury. Um, I don't know what the W means. That's, that's the thing that's most interesting to me so far. Um, <laughs> it's one of those books. It's it's printed by Cambridge. Cambridge University. It's an official, it's an official it's textbook for something. Going to be the real thing. And uh, I dare say I'm going to know an awful lot about uh, the Kingdom of Cyprus and the Crusades from 1191 to 1374. Which sounds, no like a, sounds like a mastermind subject, doesn't it? <laughs> Yeah, it's a particularly boring one, I'm afraid. Well, it, when you when you when you put it in a dense textbook, it's not interesting. When you learn about the actual reality of it, I'm sure it's very fascinating. But um, yeah, I mean, when I, you look I, at it in the outset, sometimes those tombs look a bit daunting. I, I'll tell you why. I'll go on a brief little tangent. I'm appreciate we we've got time issues here, but um, <laughs> Cyprus from from the time we're talking about that, so uh, sort of 1190 through to 1470, um, Cyprus was governed by a family, um, uh, Lusignan, uh, from Poitou in Western France. And I just find that concept fascinating, <laughs> that for nearly 300 years, Cyprus was basically the bailwick of a, a French family who presumably came over and went, oh, look, that's very nice. Let's grow olives. It's mine. No? <laughs> yes. <laughs> Put the flag here and kill anybody that moves it. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to getting into that later on. Uh, what about See, you've already made it sound much more interesting? Ah, uh, well, you know, the, you put a funny <laughs> French accent on, everything sounds more interesting. Um, what about drinking? What are you drinking, TJ? Uh, I've just finished a normal coffee, but I've been back on the black coffee. I had two black coffees this morning. I'm fasting again, which is part of my parish. Oh, notes. so am I. Funny enough, uh, shock. Oh, well done. Uh, so black coffee this morning and didn't eat any breakfast. Um, that wonderful uh, revolutionary new dieting trend. Um, it's fine. It's been a day, so I really have nothing to say about it yet. Uh, it's it's effectively a blip on the radar rather than a trend. Um, but I did look and saw that it's, it's been about a month since I last fasted, and I fasted for about 50, almost two months last time. Mm-hmm. So two months on, one month off. And I, I think 30 days is sort of my limit for decadence. And so being in lockdown, it was very easy to be like, well, I can't control a lot, but I can control the nice food that we get to have and we can have a big dinner and we can have a lovely lunch and we can have second breakfast and third lunch and <laughs> you kind of get very extravagant. And it was like, well, darling, I've made a spread of uh, of hummus and different, like this this amazing sort of uh, meze platter for lunch four times a week and you're going, oh, I'm actually done. I just want nothing. I really like to have a crap ham sandwich and some water and be done with it. <laughs> so yeah, the decadence is now at the window. We're back into sort of more measured eating, more measured um, dietary plans. We'll see. We'll see how long it lasts. But I feel good so far. All right, fantastic. Uh, well, I'm being very abstemious. Uh, good man that I am. I'm drinking water. Um, I, I, we talked about this almost almost exactly a year ago. But there's a switch somewhere in Cyprus um, <laughs> that, that goes from spring to summer, and somebody yep. just flicked it. So Clunk. It's, yep. It's gone from, oh, that's quite pleasant, to, oh, it's a bit old. Um, <laughs> so uh, we're at 28 at the moment. I think only 
30 it's down just, the coast. That is how you cook meat. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, come come the weekend, we'll be 32, 33 up here in the mountain hideaway. So uh, down on the coast, that'll be um, really hot. Hot, hot. Yeah, it's basically hours. three times the temperature here. Yeah, yeah, that sounds about right. Uh, so yeah, consequently, I'm drinking a lot of water. Um, me being me, uh, I am drinking some of the stuff that comes out of the taps, which obviously sends my wife into into fits of apoplexy. But um, I am also drinking uh, designer stuff that's been put into cans and bottles, and probably came from <laughs> the exact same source, but uh, yeah. it's suitably built. That's um, something that baffled me because our, our drinking water in Northern Ireland is very, very good. We, most of it comes from Silent Valley Reservoir, so it's all relatively clean and fine. Yeah. I've always drunk tap water, mm-hmm. and it just baffles me watching people buy bottled water. It, it isn't, it's always baffled me, but I, I get that different, different geographical places, whatever, but it's just so alien a concept. Yeah, well, I, I, I've got to say, I mean, I, I'm one of those people that when I go places and they go, oh, don't drink the tap water. I, I drink it on the first day, and if I'm not ill by the third, then I carry on. Um, <laughs> but by, by the same token, you know, I, this is, what is this? Royal Club soda water. Look at that, exciting. Uh, so I imagine that's tap water that somebody's uh, injected some gas into. That's probably what's happening. Yep. Spilled some bicarbonate soda in it. Mm, yeah, pretty much. Uh, what about buying? You buying anything good? I bought a tiny Hoover. Uh, we bought a really nice Hoover when we moved in here. It's Shark, I think, and it's got all these attachments and powerful suction. It does a really good job of cleaning the house, but it's got one of those NAF cables that doesn't come off. And so uh-huh. what we're finding is because we're around the house a lot more, the house gets messy a mm-hmm. lot faster. And so we need, we need something to Hoover in between Hooverings. Uh, so we need like a little battery jobby that can just live in the cupboard. And whenever you're like, right, there, it, we've reached sort of a, a peak in terms of crumbs and nonsense on the floor. And I can fix this with a minute and a half of tiny hoovering, or I could take five minutes to pull this out and run the cable and plug it in and turn it on and run it and then put it away. I end up not doing that because I can't be bothered. And so it builds up, builds up, builds up. So my hope is that if I buy a really funky little small battery hoover, which arrives tomorrow, uh, then I will just be able to go zoop, 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 and do all the little bits and pieces in between the the normal stuff. So that's that's sort of a very telling sign of how the lockdown is going. That I'm excited for my new Hoover tomorrow. <laughs> okay, well I, I'm on the potions and lotions bandwagon now. So um, mm-hmm. uh, obviously I I don't get this whole instant gratification thing that you guys do because of of the, <laughs> it's the Claire effect. Um, idea six months later realization <laughs> yeah you know i order all this stuff and claire goes nah still not enough for a box still not enough for a box still not enough you'll forget box. and go oh yeah i was interested i was done a rabbit hole six years ago <laughs> exactly you say that i just had to um get my phone out and look up the brand that i've ordered from because it was a few days ago and it's you know the moment's passed it's gone it's in the uh, void <laughs> brickle 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 how do you spell that um brick e double yeah yeah, okay. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, Brickle men's uh, stuff. Uh, US company originally, um, but I think they've, they've got a sort of international fulfillment now. Um, and it's all, it all looks very nice. And it's, uh, it's a sort of completionist dream. <laughs> you got the, the lotions, the potions, the soap, the powder, the, the musk, and the mask. The... They, yeah, they're going to look the same and they're going to, you know, it's just. Um, one of the things I've always found really weird, 
and this really is just just going off on a weird tangent but um you, you buy some some i don't know some face wash or some moisturizer and all that stuff and you go this smells different from that and so you end up or i end up thinking okay i'm gonna wash my face with this oh that smells quite nice that's pretty cool right now now what am i supposed to do now oh moisturize it okay oh so that's that smell's gonna kill that smell oh okay never mind bang bang do that and then maybe i'll put something in my head oh that smells a bit different okay cool whatever i put that in and then right ready to go out now oh maybe a bit of aftershave oh another smell <laughs> a cacophony of stench yeah exactly and I, <laughs> I smell like, like a french tart snickers by the time i leave and i just i i like the idea of having scentless stuff and scented stuff that i can mix in my i don't know it appeals to me there's there's some deep psychological thing going on there i'm not going to explore what it is um <laughs> but whatever it is it's been very very good news for brickles um who now have um a customer spending spending well i think they would probably see me as quite you are the international distribution on your own <laughs> uh well the, the last time i spoke to claire which was this morning she said i'm gonna need to get a bigger box <laughs> uh, there we go um and she, yeah and there's still still deliveries that haven't quite made it to her but i i share that um so that's yeah that's been me um right parish notices i've got lockdown relaxing which i've kind of already touched on yeah um, i've got uh, devolved lockdown deviation which we okay. also covered oh and intermittent fasting intermittent fasting yeah less intermittently uh yeah well we maybe stumbled on it the same way um i skipped breakfast and then went oh i'm fasting um <laughs> and so the, the next day i i skipped breakfast again and, and i believe for me i this this would be day three yes day three. Oh, good job good job this is day one for me last night 8 p.m oh i finished dinner before you i guess i'm fasting yeah oh yeah yeah there is that i mean um obviously with uh oh i suppose the other thing i'd give a margaret update uh she's still in bed um uh she's increasingly frustrated <laughs> uh which which is fun trust me uh what you mm. want to do is get someone really really frustrated a sicilian preferably bottle them up in a hot house um and don't let them get out of bed uh, oh dear yes get, gets quite fiery around our place um but uh we had a wonderful message yesterday from from gary varner i'm gonna say friend of the show gary varner yeah um if you're if you're pencil oriented you will you will have come across gary um and he's his notebook his stationery shop's open again isn't it is it no mm-hmm. no guys um where he had a very similar operation um 15 years ago and he sent uh, he sent a message through which i'm just gonna uh, pull out an excerpt of it now. Um, so I had the discomfort for four plus years uh, before it got bad enough that I had to go and do something. Anyway, sure enough, about five weeks after the surgery, in the middle of an afternoon, the light switch went off and the pain was completely gone. And what that refers to is uh, nerve memory, which is what happened to him and apparently is very common. Nerves get memory of the pain, and even though the nerves are fixed, the pain continues from that memory. 
not from the nerve being impinged. Mm. Um, which just sounds weird enough to be true. <laughs> it's just a kind of stupid thing human bodies would do. Yeah, I mean, you know, Margaret's nerve was allegedly it was it was it, it had been trapped for over twenty years in the estimation of the surgeon, um, and so when I think we've probably covered it, but he untrapped four nerve endings, and three of them sort of blossomed as they were freed. Going, you know, so it's like they breathed a sigh of relief, um, and the fourth just didn't move. Um, and we're assuming, possibly completely incorrectly, is that one is the one that's causing yeah, the culprit pain. Um, but it, it may just be that it's got so used to pain that it thinks it's still there, um, which is a really interesting idea. One that I will run by the surgeon who has threatened to come and visit us this week. Um, well, that's something. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't know whether it's just he fancies, fancies an afternoon out or... Um, <laughs> He's um, going golfing. He wants to stop on the way. <laughs> he can't be, can't be golfing in another region. Um, he lives in Parfos. Don't worry about it. <laughs> yeah, so, um, yeah, she's still suffering. I think we've got the pain and stuff slightly more under control, but, you know, it's still really tough for her, bless her. Um, yeah. And um, yeah, I'm really hopeful that the Gary's right. Right, and there's going to be uh, a light switch moment anytime soon because it will be fingers crossed. Be four weeks tomorrow uh, since she had an operation, and she's now been in bed pretty much uh, eleven weeks. That's too much. Um, that's that's a long time. Yeah, you know, it's a long, long time. Um, and yeah, I suppose that's keeping me busy. But there we go. Look, I promised you. 20 minutes, it's been 33. It's not bad. It's not bad. <laughs> it's not, not terrible, no. Um, and what I'll do is I'll do a really quick three-pin plug. Uh, I'm Stu Lennon. You can find me at neurosnotes.co.uk or stuartlennon.com where you can buy lots of really nice notebooks or you can uh, support me as a writer. Where can people find you, TJ? Told you it was quick. Uh, Wood and Graphite on YouTube for videos and documentaries or team underscore Cosgrove on Instagram for pictures of coffee and barbecues. Cool. Uh, and if you want to support this podcast, go to 1857.co.uk where you will find TJ's excellent show notes uh, and a little dollar sign on a button. If you press the button, uh, you have the ability to give us dollars. Uh, if you give us dollars, we will use them to... Um, fund all of the techie stuff that allows us to do the podcast uh, and if there's any change we'll oh, i don't know go and fast go and fast it on loose women <laughs> i have no idea what that means but that's what we'll do with it anyway if we can work out what that means so what are we talking about today TJ? today's topic is one that i thought of because it's something that i've been doing recently uh, and it's the idea of having a green thumb uh, get, growing get some things. creams um, I've noticed, and I'm sure you've noticed as well, there's been a real resurgence in people wanting to make, build, do, bake, do creative, crafty things uh, during lockdown because people can't go out and so they want to stay in and be productive. Uh, one of those things has been baking. That's why we haven't been able to buy flour here for weeks. Uh, it's only mm. just started coming back. Um, Same in London, yeah. Yeah, which is fine. So we, I had some flour, it tidied it as over. Now I can get it again, that's fine. And I had been baking. I baked some banana bread. I baked some sort of wraps and flatbreads and things like that. But something I've not really ever done before that I'm starting to do now is gardening and growing things. And our garden is in a, a, a state of disrepair would be a kind 
somewhat euphemistic term. It's it's a state. Um, but we have some pots and we have some plants. And I have loads of plants in the house and they keep growing. And it's surprised me just how quickly plants have kind of erupted around the house in terms of things that we've collected. Um, and it's a really, really nice hobby that I didn't think that I'd be into. And I really enjoy it, actually. Not just the productive ones like growing vegetables or growing fruit, um, but just plants. I always, in my head, I was very utilitarian about this. And then I remember saying to Megan previously, like, when we get a garden, we'll, we'll either grow vegetables or nothing. Because vegetables are the only useful thing you can grow. Everything else is purely decorative, and I'm not about that. And now we have a a Monstera Deliciosa plant, which is a Swiss cheese plant, a big leaves with holes in them a uh, mm-hmm. big sort of um sort of tropical looking plant we bought it in ikea over a year ago uh it got so big in the hall that i had to propagate it so i took three or four leaves off of it and i'm now growing them on their own and it's like a child it this little plant gets more attention than megan does some days i come <laughs> down and make sure it's all done make sure it's watered and I go, a little bit of like baby bionutrient stuff and check the leaves and check. it's a full thing i i must admit first thing in the morning when i get up I really enjoy coming down and just sort of pottering around the house and checking this and sorting that and looking at these. And so it, it's, it's really unexpectedly become a hobby, one that, that doesn't take an awful lot of time, but does give me an awful lot of enjoyment. Um, and I think it's, it's moments like this, you know, scenarios like lockdown, which really fuel this kind of interest when people go, I can't do what I normally do. So I have to find an alternative and the alternative needs to be in my house. And it would be helpful if it fed me sometimes as well. Um, so people go to baking or they go to growing. And so something that I've done very recently is grow scallions, green onions. Um, so that it looks, most people know what a scallion is, right? Uh, yeah, I mean, a scallion, I think, is uh, it's one of those really weird terms. I think it's American and Irish. Yeah, so we would whereas, do scallions and champ. Whereas, champ yeah, whereas being, the English yeah. would say spring onions. Yes, spring onions, that's the other one. That's the term I was looking for. It's basically, it's in the onion family. It looks like a little onion bulb and it's a really tall green shoot. You typically cut off the green shoot and you get little sort of discs of sort of faintly onion-flavoured greenery. Mm. Uh, we would use them in champ, which is sort of a mashed potato kind of thing. Yeah, with, put them in a salad. Yeah, yeah, they're great. We eat them a lot. And so I bought scallions for something and we'd cook them. We had a salad. And I had all these little tails. So you cut off sort of the white radishy bit at the bottom. And then there's the roots. It's like, you can definitely grow them from that. I remember reading that somewhere. So I did a little bit of a Google. And yeah, you just chuck them in water, change the water regularly, and they will happily grow. And so I took this pack of scallions. It was like 69p or whatever it was to buy this. We used it. We ate them for, for dinner. And I had the, the tail ends. Now, the, normally these would go in our um, sort of brine recycling bin. They would go for compost. Well, I'll just stick them in a shot glass with some water and just see what happens. That was a week ago. I now have you know, four inch long scallions growing in the kitchen window. And I know how food works. I know I'm not stupid. I, I know that that's how food grows. <laughs> but there's something magical about seeing it happening on your kitchen shelf. Sure. You know, to go from nothing to this. And so now I'm going, right, how many scallions do I need? I'm, I'm basically sitting down trying to do the math of if a scallion grows this far in this amount of time, given just water and they only get tap water as well by the way they're not getting any bottled stuff um how many scallions do i need to have unlimited so if i had a full tray of them and i start in the corner and eat you know shaving them down how long before i get to the other end of the tray 
will the start of the tray be grown up again? And trying to work out how you would have unlimited vegetables uh, in itself, which is a very me reaction to the, the process. But it's fascinating. It's really, really interesting. The, um, I think the danger is, as you say, this all looks really, really appealing when we're rattling around sort of constrained and confined. Mm. When, when real life kicks off and you're walking from the train station through the rain to work, doing a full day, dealing with some recalcitrant people, as we all have to from time to time, <laughs> then getting home and finding that uh, it's still raining. Uh, this is very much a, a Northern Irish scenario in my head. Yeah, yeah 100%. Um, uh, and, you know, nearly dark and that gardening stuff still needs doing. Um, that's when those, those vegetable patches and those borders, and that's when they become, I think, a lot harder work than they are right now mm. when the sun is shining with all the time. Oh, yes. I'm going to grow some flowers here and I'm going to do that. And, um, because I'm in a similar spot. I mean, okay, we, we've got a huge garden here and um, I'm, I'm, I'm not ashamed to say that I pay someone to come here. <laughs> um, and he does. He does a deep clean of my pool once a week and he sort of looks after the garden. Now, the garden is, is set up to be low maintenance, um, but we have, a, we have what some people would see as, a, as an amazing privilege, but can be a bit of a problem, is that everything's incredibly fertile here. So um, if, you, you know, if you get a bit of tomato that you don't like and you sort of spit it out and throw it over your shoulder, you'll have a tomato tree within a week. <laughs> Um, whoops so uh, weeds grow very very fast you know there's there's a whole sort of underlying 80% 90% grunt work that needs to be done to maintain Mm. any sort of garden and then there is also that really fun 10% of as you say growing something and you know nurturing it a little bit and and, uh, you know the best bit of all going oh look these are fresh tomatoes that I grew and these are peppers and you know um, but even me, and I'm, I'm old enough to know better. I'm, I've set up some boxes that I'm using to sort of screen parts of the garden. I'm thinking, mm, yeah, okay, I'm going to go and buy some stuff for that. I'm going to put some herbs here next to the barbecue, try and keep the mosquitoes <laughs> on. And it's all going to be great. There are two major things that I have to face that I think you won't have to face. First one is on Saturday, um, I paid... I paid the snake man. So he goes around and sprays <laughs> the edge of your property uh, with uh, a chemical that snakes don't like very much. Anti-snake juice, yes, of course. Yeah, pretty much. Um, now, that's one way of doing it. The other way of doing it is you go down to the garden shop and you um, go up to the counter and uh, I think you have to wink in a certain order and then you say sulfur and they will give you some sulfur um, because there is a... Um, what should we call it? A traditional remedy that uh, you put sulfur around the perimeter and, and snakes won't cross sulfur. I think uh, that's demons rather than snakes. I'm not entirely <laughs> sure. I... A, a little bit of a, a 30 seconds of Google Foo will demonstrate to you that that's utter nonsense. But that doesn't mean that people don't believe it. So um, having done my 30 seconds of Google Foo, I thought, okay, well, I'll pay the snake man rather than go and buy some sulfur. Uh, a, because I know my dog would come back with a yellow nose. Um, and B, because I don't think it actually does anything to stop snakes. 
So we got that done on Saturday and I was talking to him because there's been a lot of talk here about this being a very, very big, busy snake season this year. Um, and he laughed and went, well, no, it's just everybody's at home. So they're seeing them more. Um, but having, having paid him on the Saturday, I saw my first snake of the year on Monday in my garden. Mr. Snake Man, I have a problem. <laughs> Excuse me. Um, now, in fairness, this, this was hardly uh, an anaconda. I mean, it was about four inches long. Uh, and it moved like grease lightning, and it was moving like grease lightning away from me. I scared it more than it scared me. Well, it was a fairly close run thing, I'd say. Um, <laughs> and it was it was the good snake. It was the whip snake, which um, whip snakes are the most common in Cyprus, and they grow quite big. Um, and they really don't like sharing their territory, um, particularly not with vipers. So that's good news. If you've got a whip snake, it will keep away the vipers to a certain extent and vipers yeah, there's some downsides to them like they kill you um, so that's one part of gardening in cyprus at least that gives me pause <laughs> yeah i am i'm quite hesitant to stick my hand in some places without having a very good look as to what might be there um and the other thing is of course it gets so hot here and you know if i let, let's say you know it's a tomatoes or little dwarf peppers you know that you can grow in in almost like window boxes you can grow them in um i've got some some sort of big bedding boxes that would be perfect for that that's what we used them for in england we grew some very nice tomatoes i'll have you know the idea of of putting those out and growing them is great now, but they will need watering twice a day um during the summer because it just gets so so hot and literally you have to you know, find those sort of golden hours to, to water around dawn and dusk. If you dawn, if you dawn, if you water in the middle of the day, uh, the water gets so hot that it burns the plant. <laughs> Boils them <laughs> in yeah, the ground. Pretty, yeah, pretty much. Um, you'd be, you, I, um, we don't have cold water here in the summer. So when you turn no. the tap on, the, the, the water that comes out of the tap is, is warm. Regardless, because, yes, because everything is warm. <laughs> so, um, the you know, my water main would make I think I showed you a picture of it once. I mean, it's a hose, uh, that's, the, that's the water main, <laughs> and it gets you know, if you're laying in the baking sun, it gets warm. So, the water that comes out is warm. You, you can't have a cold shower, even if you want one, you can't have one. Uh, the only way to have a cold shower is just about before dawn when overnight the water will have cooled a bit. Um, so th those are the things I, I'm, I'm all for the gardening thing and I love, I love the theory of gardening but it's really hard work mm. and, it, and that hard work is you know, you know you and I are both lucky enough to, to be working and when, when you finish work um, the idea of okay I'm going to go and dig that or turn this or, it's, it's a big commitment I think big commitment <laughs> yeah it is and it as you say, it's easier to do under lockdown because you're here all the time, right? Mm. Um, and it's a distraction. It's a welcome distraction to get out of the house. And it's a reason we have, we're lucky enough to have a garden, right? So I can go into the garden and not be in my house, but still not be contravening any of the rules. Yeah. So I feel like I'm out and the cabin fever subsides a little bit, uh, but I'm not being, you know, dangerous or impractical. Yeah, exactly. But 
it does make you sort of more aware of oh, I could do this. And you, you kind of, you start building it up as I want to do anyway. Like, mm. I could have this, I could do that, I could do that. And I know full well, if I went back to work normally, you'd be like, I'm not going to the garden. I've been in work all day. I've just got off the train. I'm going to bed or I'm going to watch TV. I'm not going to go and dig up stones or turn that and do that. And so you do, mm. it, you know, the sort of perceptions of what we want and our own abilities are kind of in a non-normal state currently. And when things, if things move back towards normal, that may, you know, that, that may swing the other way. The dial may change and you may go, I have no time for this. But <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a really good point. It's, um, can you imagine how many people, the exhaustion that everybody's going to feel when they go, have to go back and start living, you know, the old way again? <laughs> I was thinking about that this morning. I was like, oh my, because we got up early. I set the alarm. We went for a nice walk this morning and we were back in the house before 7 a.m. So we were out early. Um, I was thinking, I should be on the train in 15 minutes. That's, that's the reality <laughs> yeah. of the situation. I am not ready to be on a train. And I have not been ready to be on a train for eight weeks now. Oh, if we go back suddenly, it's not going to be good. I'm going to be sleeping on the train. On the one-tenth capacity train that I'll miss and have to wait four hours for the next one. Um, you could just see it there's going to be the anxiety everybody's going to be feeling about proximity and you know is the virus gone and does the the vaccine work and all of that stuff plus the fact that nobody's used to a i mean what's an average day for you what 12 hours from the time you leave the house till you get home uh, it's about it's about well yeah 7 a.m i'm on the train at 7 15 and i'm by home normally for about 5 p.m so what time do you leave home about half past six no, no, I'm not. I'm not far from the train station, so I leave about uh, ten, five to seven, ten to seven. Okay, so before seven, and you're back before seven. It is pretty much twelve hours. Yeah, a bit less. And you know, that's that's not the day that you're living and I'm living now. Oh no! It? Oh no! 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 <laughs> I still work eight to four, but yeah. it's seven fifty nine. I'm exactly. doing something. Eight o'clock, I start work. <laughs> four o'clock, I finish down tools, and I'm already in the garden. It's just the the lag time between doing things that I want to do and doing work yeah. uh, is much shorter. And, you know, but, you've got two hours that you need to do something during the day. You just do it and then you can work a bit later into the evening because you're in the yeah. same space and that, you know, all of that. It's just going to be such a shock for people who are going to go, oh, no, this drudgery of, oh, I'm exhausted. <laughs> oh, I've got to cook. Oh, you know, I, 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 the adjustment, I think, is going to be fantastic. <laughs> um, I mean, it won't be for me. I, I've got to be honest. I'm probably working harder now than I do normally, so I, I don't. Want, I'm quite looking forward to normality re- returning for a different route. But, yeah, um, Meg, I think thinks I've gone insane. So the, the plant thing is fine. She likes house plants as well, and the house plants are really easy to look after. They don't ask for much. They literally just want water. Mm. Everything else is a bonus. They, they will grow happily with just water in the heat of the house. Um, outside, I'm doing some more agricultural experimentation we'll say uh so ours we've talked about it before our soil is very clay based it's very very hard it's being compacted by years of heavy stones and people walking on it so it's really tough to grow anything in it um apart from weeds which only grow on the top inch or so so i know that i'm gonna have to mitigate that and sort of churn up the soil with some stuff so I, i i dug a hole about three weeks ago as an experiment a one by one meter hole uh it wasn't quite a cubic one meter it was about i don't know a foot down and a meter by a meter wide 
Mm-hmm. I dug this out and turned all the soil over and they went, whoa, well, I've got loads of like food scraps. And okay. And so Meg came out of the house to me throwing ends of carrots, um, old bits and pieces of vegetables, and then emptying a tub of hummus that had expired into this hole in the ground. Oh, and she walked out feeding the soil. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But she walked out having not known what I was doing to me emptying hummus into a hole in the ground as if I would sort of burying the corpse of the hummus we didn't eat. She's going, right, he's lost it. Okay, uh, I'm just going to go back inside, sweetheart. Please put down the implements, put down the shovel uh, and just stay away. So yeah, I, I think my neighbours think I've lost it as well because any time I get I'm like, Megan, food scraps, I'm going to go bury them in the garden. I go and dig a little <laughs> hole and put them in this little... I'm, what I'm trying to do is improve the soil uh-huh. for free and see if it works and then if it doesn't who cares if it does it's an exciting uh, experiment but I mean, i'm trying to see what i can do i may be wrong but I, I think the traditional manner of doing that tj would be to put all of the scraps in one place uh, <laughs> descriptively called a compost heap yeah yeah and and then once the compost has got to the right state because you have to get your mix right mm-hmm. you then use yeah, that compost onto the um onto the, the soil that you wish to improve, rather than doing it, shall we say, square it's inch by true. square inch. <laughs> well, this is what, I, I understand that. And I will, and this, we, and this we will is use the hummus manure. soil. <laughs> this is the hummus soil approach. Um, and, and, I was, and over here Meg we was, have the fish and chip soil. <laughs> Meg was, was doing the washing up and was chatting. She was like, yeah, we'd, we'd make a little pizza garden. You know, we could have fresh basil. Because I got a fresh basil plant in the house and it's lovely. Very good. It's like, well, we'll grow some basil and you know grow some little tomatoes that we can put on it she's like oh yeah that sounds nice I'm like we'll get a mozzarella plant she went oh yeah, yeah. and then we'll get a salami plant she went oh whoa, whoa hold on salami plant I went, you, you didn't hear mozzarella plant <laughs> she let that one pass no no she didn't she was like oh no fair enough that doesn't make any logical sense whatsoever <laughs> but yeah a little pizza garden i've big aspirations big hopes but i'm enjoying it more than i ever thought i would and even the plants that don't do anything but be themselves you know i'm not going to eat them um i'm getting a lot of enjoyment out of, of making sure they don't die so maybe this is the first step towards parenting of course though if you're doing a little pizza garden mm-hmm. what you need sir is a pizza oven oh i've i have plans yeah. uh to make a brick one the proper archway in the dome oh, when you do the whole yeah. if, if if only if only we were a sponsored podcast that would have been a superb segue into our new sponsor <laughs> or whatever they're called yeah the barbie the the yeah i've seen them hook us up yeah we'll talk about it if you give us one each <laughs> yeah, yeah imagine that first could you ship it to cyprus please no oh, okay <laughs> All right, then, can thanks. you ship part of it to cyprus <laughs> so my uh my friend in uh dublin he uh he he, he runs a sort of handyman service mm. and he just put together uh, a barbecue that uh, one of his clients had ordered. One and a half metric tons of brickwork. Oh, that's... That's too many that bricks. is a barbecue. <laughs> yeah, that's a barbecue with a statement. That's a monument to, to the barbecue gods. <laughs> exactly. Um, he didn't take a picture. He, he was telling me about it. I said, oh, show me the picture. And he went, oh, I didn't take one. So, I'm sorry. <laughs> I didn't take one. Of the Colossus, you didn't. Ooh. You didn't bother to snap. 
<laughs> you probably couldn't get far back enough. You'd have to uh, drive three counties over to get. <laughs> I'd say you'd probably have to kind of Belfast take a photo of it. Yeah. We'll just look it up on Google Maps. It's fine. <laughs> it's satellite imagery. <laughs> oh, oh, gardening, gardening. So, well, the one thing I will say about the basil, when you do grow the basil, pick it, uh, pick the leaves, yep. wash them, dry them, freeze them. And then you have fresh basil all year. Works really, really ah, well. There you go. That, nothing to do and with what, me, what about the mozzarella plant? Uh, well, the mozzarella plant takes an awful lot of growing. Most of them don't work. I'll, I'll be honest <laughs> with you. A mozzarella plant is, is a very, very rare success. Um, you just got to keep bearing full mozzarellas in the garden and just wait well, for it to happen. Just, you know, as Mary Berry, go out and buy pastry. Just, just go out and buy the mozzarella because gr- growing it, honestly, no. Not worth it. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Likewise, the the salami plant. Yes, uh, attracts an awful lot of cats for a start. You don't want that. <laughs> right. Well, mm. I've been Stu Lennon, and I've been TJ Cosgrove. Remember to make the past, the present, in the future. Go and grow something. This was eighteen fifty seven.